Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. If you're like many people, you may be surprised to learn that one in five adults in this country experienced mental illness last year. Yet, far too many fail to receive the support they need. Carillon Behavioral Health is doing something about it. They understand that behavioral health is a key part of whole health, delivering compassionate care that treats physical, mental, emotional, and social needs in tandem. Carillon Behavioral Health, raising the quality of life through empathy and action. I know you'll be alright Even when times get hard And you feel like you're in the dark You will see Just how beautiful life can be When you soften your heart You can finally start To live your truth Welcome back to the Truthiest Life podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Haim. This week, we have another amazing guest that has totally transformed my mind. And I put a little audio clip over on the Truthiest Life Instagram account and asked you all to guess who it was. And so many of you knew the voice. So that was kind of a fun thing. I'm considering doing that moving forward and a fun thing to do over on the Truthiest Life podcast. But I know that not all of my guests are going to have voices that you know, but some of them that do. It's kind of a fun game to play. Anyway, this episode is amazing. It is with my friend Sophie Jaffe. You may have seen her on Instagram before or you may follow her. Most people that follow her but don't follow her too closely just think that she's this, you know, pretty chick who does yoga. But wow, Sophie's story is so much more. It involves a partner who has a sex addiction. It involves infidelity on both parts. It is about working through the stuff. And I admire Sophie's vulnerability so much because she shows up to the internet. She gets a lot of shade for her life and from people that don't think that it's possible to do what she does. And she doesn't live in shame. And she shows people what happens when you do the work. And she never says that it's easy, but she explains that it's what she calls an ignited life. It's full of passion and doing the work and having these deep connections with everyone in your life, yourself, your friends, and your partner. This episode is amazing. Sophie does touch on a little bit of sexual and domestic abuse. I may be overcautious with these content warnings, but on the other hand, I don't think you can be too cautious. I love having hard conversations and people sharing their truth, but I always want to protect both my guests and my listeners, so I'll continue to put them here cautiously. 
This week, Monday, will be December 14th, and I'm hosting a free webinar five times this week, all the way through Sunday on emotional eating. You can register at forkthenoise.com forward slash webinar. I'll put that in the show notes. And it's called the Emotional Eating Action Plan. And this is not a webinar that tells you that emotional eating is bad and here's what you should do you know, when you're hungry instead of eating. It's getting to the root of why we eat emotionally, why we turn to food, why it feels good, what's underneath that, what other tools do we have? And recognizing that food and eating is not a crime, especially during these highly emotional times, really at any point. But it's my goal to give you my step-by-step process for making it a conscious experience so that when you emotionally eat and use food to cope, you recognize that there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to feel guilty of. There's no compensating that you need to do. So I'm so excited to share this with you. So register at forkthenoise.com forward slash webinar. And let's jump into this great episode with Sophie Jaffe. I'm so excited to see Sophie. Sophie is a wellness expert and entrepreneur. She's a mindful mom of three beautiful kids, owner of a superfood company, Philosophy, co-host of Ignited Podcast with her husband, Adi, and an all-around badass human that I call my friend and I personally look up to in every which way. So Sophie, you are a dream guest of mine from marriage to raising kids to your many they're not really side hustles. They're all your full on hustles. <laughs> they, everything you do comes from a beautiful place of just wanting to make the world happier, healthier, and I'd say more empowered. I mm. personally love how you give a big F you to shame when it comes to everything. You're full of energy, bliss, balance, and best of all, you're not all talk. You truly live out your truthiest life every single mm. day. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> you, you really do. So you might not know this, but being a mom, is like something that I'm super excited about, but it scares me the most. And I have been looking up to you since, do you remember when we were on like a work New York trip two years ago? Yes. How could I forget? Do you remember how you arrived to the trip? Uh, Yeah, I do. Do you want to repeat that for everyone? Yes. So Sophie was carrying two-month-old baby Noah <laughs> everywhere <laughs> that we went. We, we stayed up till three o'clock in the morning having girl talk. Noah was sleeping on your lap. You know, you were breastfeeding in between work stuff. And the trip really stained my mind because you were just so full of giggles and realness. And I got to know you, but I got to see you do the mom stuff and the work stuff at once. <laughs> Was I love that a that. hard trip yeah, for you? You know, the only reason it was a hard trip for me is because like, I didn't quite have her sleep routine down. Like I was like, oh, I'll just lay next to her in bed and like, it'll be fine. And it just wasn't. She just didn't sleep well. She just stared at me. And, you know, so it was just the sleep thing, which I can go without sleep for a couple days, but I depend on my sleep for my mood and for my livelihood and just to feel really vibrant and alive. I need good sleep. I'm addicted to having a good sleep pattern. So again, a few days it was fine, but that was the only thing. It wasn't about having her. I prefer having my kids around for those moments. And, you know, Kai and Leo grew up going with me to philosophy demos and grocery stores, handing out samples at events, selling my product and like putting the credit card through and I'm selling, you know, it just like, that's what I love is co-creating with them. And my brand is my family. And that's beautiful to me. And that trip is definitely like 
a display and like almost like a, a living metaphor for, you know, what I try to obtain is that balance of being myself, what makes Sophie Sophie, giggling, having girl talk, hanging out with these amazing women, connecting over just real life things. And then also my child's there. So I get to be with her. I'm breastfeeding. I'm hanging all of it combined where it like really feels like I'm in alignment instead of these categories that have to stay separate. That's just not the way that I parent. And I don't know if it's because I was such a young mom. When Kai was born, I was 26. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that had anything to do with it or if it's just the way that I am. But regardless, I love letting my kid be a part of as much as I want them to be a part of and then having separate adult time, of course, because that's imperative as well. Yeah. And I had never seen anyone juggle it quite like you. So when I say I look up to you because you do it all, I feel like most people who do it all, like when you tap into them, there's a piece that's so missing. They're deplete energetically because they don't fill themselves up or their children might feel neglected because they work so much or their work might not be bringing in as much because they're, you know, there's not usually that balance, but I got to see you in action and holy F, everything that you do is with such fire and passion that it's invigorating, you know, from afar before I knew you, it was intimidating. But once Mm -hmm. you know you, you really raise the bar for everyone around you. Mm-hmm. And you, like I said in the beginning, like you, you walk the walk, like you were mindful with Noah, you were mindful, th- like everything just came together. So you clearly make it look easy. Is it easy? Well, it's easy when it's in flow, right? It's easy when it's working. It's easy when it's fluid. It's easy when I'm supported. It's easy when I'm speaking up for what I need. But like all of those things all at once constantly. No, there's plenty of times when like, shit falls apart because it's a lot of balls in the air. So when all the balls are being juggled and it's like a dance, it's like poetry. It's amazing. And it feels so good. And like the crazy days feel like nothing. They feel effortless because they are so supported and I feel so integrated. But there are plenty of days where I didn't get enough sleep, where something gets thrown off, where I get into a fight with a D, where um, one of the kids is suffering or acting out. And it's just like, why are you acting out? And there's no rhyme or reason like those moments constantly shine through but for the most part yeah it is when it's in flow and things and all systems go it's it's a beautiful thing to be a part of well, i just want to highlight that you said like the system is in flow and part of that flow is you verbalizing your needs i don't think that most people realize that a flow requires the peddling of yourself which means mm-hmm the communication for asking what you need. I think that people expect that it's more effortless and you're kind of here saying, yes, the flow is beautiful. It's hard. Things fall out. But when we are in flow, I'm working really hard. So that yeah. that speaks volumes to me. Is there like one thing that you have to do every single day to keep yourself afloat? Yeah, I'd say just be alone. Just I have to be alone. And it can't be work related. Like I just need to do something alone, whether it's outside reading a book by myself with my phone on airplane mode or going on a walk in my neighborhood, like without anyone else. I don't really know if I'm an extrovert or an introvert. I think I'm a little of both. And Mm -hmm. I definitely fill up 
in both ways. But if I don't get that solo time and it changes every single day, sometimes it's a bath, sometimes it's a movie, sometimes it's Netflix, sometimes it's ice cream on my kitchen floor. Sometimes it's, you know, just being outside alone or being in my sauna. Like it doesn't really matter. It's more about tuning into that desire and that communication within myself. And then everything else can be more at peace because I got what I need. And does alone also mean phone free? Because we also didn't even mention, aside from being an entrepreneur in all the ways with your own businesses, and by the way, your kids are also actors, so you're in a million places at once. You're also uh, an incredible influencer. And that I don't say lightly because Again, every post has passion behind it. So does that alone time mean plugging off, like being offline? Yes. Yeah, I can't be on a phone. I actually don't really want to be on any devices. But once in a while, I'll like put on a dance class or put on a yoga class digitally. I prefer not Mm. to. I prefer to just go inward and get the answers from within. But sometimes I'm like, I don't have anything left to give. So I just want to be passive and follow along with something. Yeah. So just honestly depends on the day. But for the most part, it means no anything technology so that I can just find that rhythm within like do you ever feel this sounds very woo woo but I sometimes just can feel that the TV is even plugged in or I can feel the Wi-Fi right like I can feel the Wi-Fi in my room and I'm like I need to unplug everything or just get outside because it's messing with my brain waves totally the energy is there my husband sometimes brings his computer into the bed and I'm like like I'm not like annoyed because I'm angry that he's doing that on principle I'm a little annoyed because of that but my body has like a visceral reaction to it so I'm like not being an evil you know wife because like with hard rules but the energy is real so I'm glad that you said that so I wanted you to come on the podcast when I you know came up with the truthiest life I had a list of 10 women and you were front and center of women that I wanted to have not just because I love you as a friend but because I think so many women and men let's just say couples, live in shame and secrecy about something that you're really open with. And that's the topic of cheating and infidelity. It's obviously easier to show up on the internet as a perfect couple that has it all together. And you and Adi do the opposite. One thing I will say is you don't show up and be like, we're fighting right now. It seems like you really honor the privacy of what a couple needs to go through. But both of you have given your life's work to not put putting a part of your relationship in a closet, but rather taking it out. So before we even get to like the infidelity, you met Adi when you were really young, right? Yeah, we were, uh, I was 20 and he was 28. We met at UCLA. I was an undergrad and he was doing his PhD program in neuroscience. And we met in an undergrad neuroscience class. And I was just coming out of a really unstable, abusive relationship for five years, which was my first quote love. And I was just flips upside down. And then I, I met Adi and I just completely fell in love with this idea of who he was. And I did feel him, but we had a lot of work to do from minute one because we both had been through so much. And obviously everyone's been through a lot, but the minute I met Adi, he had already in the last three years had to go completely sober was addicted to meth at a given time, was a drug, a huge drug dealer and very successful in LA. He's great with numbers. <laughs> he had already been to jail for a year. He had like nine felony counts, like just shit that like most people don't go through that. Right. And so the amount of things that we had both been through and then to attract each other and find one another, like even the amount of puzzle pieces that had to fit together to get him in that room that day, because it was an undergrad class. And he asked his, you know, whoever 
it, he asked like the person in charge of his PhD program, he asked if he could just sit in on a neuroscience undergrad course. And so this one didn't fit in his schedules, but mine did. And so he sat next to me and we, all of the things, right? We're at UCLA, there's thousands of people and thousands of different opportunities to miss each other. And so we, we sat next to each other and we both equally in the same moment vibed and found each other. And we each said to our friends, I just found my husband, I just found my future wife, basically in the same week. And so that is really what we held on to, even though there was all this turbulence and work to do. And so, you know, I think we, we ourselves had so much, you know, at stake. And also we had been through so much and, and all we wanted was like healthiness, but we didn't know how, because we had both been in such destructive past relationships with ourselves and with others. Mm-hmm. We weren't exactly like in the easiest position, but we fought through it anyway. So I assume that the passion was high. Like there was like that energy jolt that not every love relationship has, but for, like I said, everything you do is with passion. So I feel yeah. like if there's not electricity, like you're not in it. So that's what I imagined as 20 year old Sophie. That's true. Yes. And he's the same way. And I actually remember like spending the night with him a few times and the energy that a D wakes up with now still is like 10 times Sophie. So you think I'm energetic. (laughs) You think I have lots of passion. This man has been given a second chance in his mind. He's like, Mm -hmm. I'm a privileged white Jewish man with money for his family. Mm -hmm got him out of Mm -hmm. going to jail for more than a year. If he were a black man or underprivileged or any other many, many things, he would have been in jail his entire life. And he Mm -hmm. knows that. So he lived his life from that place. And so when he wakes up in the morning, his passion for his purpose is what makes him open the shades to the windows right away. And like, even when he was 28, it was like the fact that he got out of jail, the fact that he got into graduate school in the top school for psychology and PhD, all of these things he knew that he was given a second chance. And so that's how he lives his life. Still, I have yet to see Mm -hmm. that waiver. And so that was really attractive energy for me. Yes, I'm like that too, but he is even more so. And that's why our podcast is called Ignited because we live an ignited life and it's full of purpose and it's full of what can I do to keep this fire ignited, which is life. What what is an ignited life? And it's that, Mm -hmm. it's like that passion and purpose and drive to have that yummy energy in our lives whether it be friendships, work relationships, self-love, raising children, like what ignites you is really what we're like always searching for. So in in the beginning, was there a honeymoon phase or was it always there was? Okay. And what what was that like? Yeah. The first few months were just like obsessed with each other. Like I remember like we were really into like, if you remember the Fru Fru soundtrack, that song Let Go was like our soundtrack during that time. And he helped me learn how to let go. And I was like so scared of my own sexuality and sensuality because I had been through such an abusive time with my ex. He was this older man who like had all this experience. So we just dove in and we spent every single second together. We couldn't get enough of each other. He told me his story pretty early on because he was like, this is typically when women leave and I'm going to be radically transparent with you before he knew what that meant. And that only made me more attracted to him. So I was like, damn, I had no idea. And if you can sit here beside me with that past and with that, that's what that drive, that's the source of the drive. That's why you're sitting beside me. If he went along the normal track, and didn't go to jail for a year and didn't have work release for a year and didn't fall in those patterns, I wouldn't have met him. It had Mm -hmm. to be those things that make him him. And if there's anything I've learned in the last few years with embracing my shadows and, you know, that being a normal phase of life, it's that there is no good and bad. 
And that's hard for someone who's a good girl and really wants there to be a good and a bad. There isn't, there isn't a good and a bad. And those experiences in his life led him to be the person that he is today, which is why I was attracted to him in the first place. I mean, he could have been sitting there without that path and I wouldn't have been attracted to him. So that's what makes him who he is. And once he told me that, he told me that about three months into the relationship and only took it up to another level. And so that I think honeymoon phase was like four or five months and then shit got real. And he's like, you're crying every time we have sex. And well, yeah, before we before (laughs) we before we get into kind of phase two, I just want to say how, it, you know, for you, he fit this pieces of, you know, an older man who was so open. But for him, he showed you your broken parts. And you said, I love you because of your broken parts. Like that must have been like, so I'm never going to let you go to him because you are the person that he showed it all to. And you did the opposite reaction. Yeah, I love all parts to you. And I have Mm. to say, even when he told me that it was Thanksgiving time, and I told my parents and they were actually I told my dad sitting in my kitchen with the dining room table, I remember from growing up in DC, and we're sitting at that dining room table in the kitchen and the light was pouring in. I told him and he was really accepting. But again, it's like a lot of information. Mm-hmm. Both D and I are a lot, right? You have to like, yeah. be open to the allotness of it. And just, you know, I've learned to accept it. But yeah, I told my sister who's the same age as a D. And she was not thrilled. She was not thrilled at all. <laughs> just that he had this past and he was yeah. older. Okay. And, and that's before this... shit hit the fan. Yeah, before shit hit the fan. <laughs> she was just like, yeah, I'm not wild about the fact that he's my age and he's been to jail and that he has all this stuff. And she just was very judgmental because she was protecting her baby sister. And I get it. But you know, love is love. And I, I loved him even more for the things he had been through because I saw something in him. And that was that ignited energy. So after four or five months, like you brought some sexual trauma into this relationship, right? Yeah. So I was abused by my first boyfriend pretty regularly. I'd say like a few times a month he would either like put me in the closet if I did something wrong. Like, and when I say wrong, I mean like look at a boy. He would always be like, I know you're cheating on me. I know you're Y and Z. I never did anything ever. I would come home and like a V-neck white t-shirt would be sitting in shreds on my bed, like a brand new t-shirt because it was a V-neck and V-necks are apparently sexual. So I started to like slowly chip away at my sensual and sexual self. And so I was so afraid and just repressed and like sexual energy was bad. I couldn't look I couldn't have that sexual energy except for with him, which obviously is almost impossible to create that with one person if you're not allowed to like let it exist without him. Um, So yeah, it was just like this crazy he he raped me when he'd get really drunk. And that happened like four or five times. And he had this really crazy temper like he had such an anger problem. His dad was a recovering alcoholic, but like really never dealt with the real issues, which is another reason that he like makes is his life purpose because it's not about the thing it's about the internal issues and the core you know beliefs and his dad would like kick the dog and kick it down the stairs and just like really violent crazy behaviors and that's what I was exposed to for almost five years so that person came into this relationship with a D and that girl was was really really damaged and really hurt and he didn't know what to do with me he knew that I cried every time we had sex he knew that there was something wrong but he he didn't know how to address it. No, just to take one moment to just celebrate how you, you, the two of you broke the cycle of violence and then, you know, teaching that in your home. In spite of the intense energy that you are, there is a soft, gentle undercurrent and you guys really broke it. 
kudos because you you broke the cycle. That's that's huge. We did. So I think that we sometimes people like we we forget, especially after four months of a honeymoon phase, that the people that we're with were people before we met them. And especially after the honeymoon phase where like things aren't as fun anymore, you realize that you're not a perfect puzzle piece like you thought you were for months one through three or six or year or whatever. And that every person has like little shards of, you know, brokenness that the other person, it's not their job to fix them. But I, I saw Rachel Ricketts say that her boyfriend or her partner was has been like a container for growth for her. And I was like, I love that. That that spoke to me. But it sounds like Adi also with his past and maybe personal feelings of like self-worth. I'm That's an assumption, by the way, just knowing addiction and how that all happens. It's kind of like, well, this woman's crying when I have sex with her. Did that like hit a pang of him of unworthiness? He just was like, I don't want to hurt her even more. So it was like, I'm going to go figure this out. It wasn't like, I'm going to go fuck some woman. It wasn't like that. It was a slow burn of a relationship that he started with this other woman in school who was very aggressive with him and just kept hitting on him. And he was trying to hook her up with his best friend and she wanted a D. And so she was very aggressive with him and he obviously like didn't mind the attention and he was getting it in a way that I couldn't give. And eventually they began sleeping together, but they like hung out for four months before anything even happened on a physical level. But he was getting something that he felt like he didn't want to put more pressure on me. Like, you know, when you say it out loud, it's like, really? Like, why didn't we just deal with it? But it's scary. It's a lot. And I wasn't exactly open to talking about it at the time because I also didn't even know what was going on. I just, I knew that what I had been through was bad and like felt wrong in my body, but I didn't know how to talk about that with anyone else because I lived in a lie for so long. Like my old, my own best friends barely knew what was going on, barely scratched the surface. So if I'm not talking about it with them, how am I going to talk about with this guy who I'm trying to like impress and be in love with? And not present as broken, I would think, you know, you want right. to present as shiny and sexual and fun and young. Young was like part yep. of your identity too. Yeah. So this is when you're just dating, right? You're not married at this point or no, yeah. no kids. No, we were just dating. Okay. You found out that he was cheating or he told you? He told me. He came to me and said, I need to talk to you. He had, he told his father, who now isn't here with us anymore. He died of cancer when I was pregnant with Kai. But he told his dad and his dad was like, you know you what you have to do, right? And he was like, yeah. So he called me and we walked around my parents' neighborhood in Los Feliz in the hills. And by the time we ended the circle, the like little loop around their house, I was sitting on his lap and he was just bawling. And I was just like, you know that we have to break up, right? And he was just like, yeah. And that was a time of, it was almost a year that we were apart. I really didn't think we were going to get back together. There might've been something in my heart, like I hope that he changes or I hope that something happens. But for the most part, I had moved on. I was traveling. I was young. I was 21, um, went to Europe, went to Thailand with a man who like came into the juice bar and brought me on his adventure. Like I was in this like open, open, expansive discovery, curiosity, like exactly what I needed as a 21 year old. And then we found each other again. He started going to therapy, he went to start going to yoga on his own, which if you know, Adi is like not exactly a yogi, but I was the yoga for him. And when I was gone, then he sought 
that Sophiness. And so he started going to my favorite yoga teachers in Santa Monica. And yeah, he just he changed, he was going to yoga like five times a week, which again, for him is like, what? But that was part of his healing. And he really needed to be apart from me. Oftentimes, we need to be apart from the source to be able to get perspective of like how we're showing up to that thing. And it really changed him. He really during that break, he was just like, wow, I just lost something so special. And his dad got cancer during that time. So it was like, he's going through so much. And he's just wishing that we had each other. And I just kept being like, you need to just not reach out to me anymore because this isn't helping us heal. And eventually while I was traveling in Thailand, he saw this mug and like coffee bean and it said, what would you do if you would not fail? You know, that, mm-hmm. that quote. And he's like, I know this is cheesy, but I saw this quote today. And what I would do is fight to get you back with everything I have. And here's the ways that I would show up differently. And here's what I want to work on. And I wrote him back or no, I called him right away from one of those like internet cafe places and just said I'm here for this I'm so excited and we have to go to therapy we need some real help to to navigate all of this because it's a lot and he agreed and somehow I had that wherewithal you know at 21 years old to be like we have to go to therapy that isn't like the sexiest thing to say to someone when they're trying to sweep you off their feet but it's like there wasn't an option we were broken (laughs) like we had this a lot of stuff that needed to be repaired so yeah from then on I mean I'm 36 so 15 years ago on we've had couples therapy you know on and off as maintenance and then some really intensive times and therapy allowed us to find a place that we could meet in the middle and understand each other and fight it out in a safe way. It, it didn't end there though, right? Some mm-hmm. of that, you know, there there were obviously lots of patches of growing together. Um, yeah. what, how old were you when you got married? 25? 25 when I got married. 25 when you got married and then you had your first son at around 26? Yeah. Were there still little problems or were things pretty kosher? I could feel that something was off, but I wasn't sure what it was because we were in therapy and like we're doing all these things and we're checking all these boxes off. And then I was pregnant with Kai. So it was a few years later after getting back together and I was babysitting for friends in Santa Monica and the kid had gone to sleep and I was just like on my laptop and somehow I broke into a fake email address that he had. Like I just could feel there was something that I didn't know. So I started just like fishing around and like a sleuth just, I mean, when you want to find something, you can find it no matter what it is. And I found it. I found this fake email address. The email address led me to this website, ashleymadison.com. This is for married men to cheat on their wives. And we weren't actually married yet at the time when he started it. And then I'm like 11 weeks pregnant with Kai. We had just gone to our first ultrasound. We had just gone on this amazing vacation to Ojai. Nothing. Never said a word. Never any like instinct. But he was being sneaky. It was just kind of like another way, sort of like the drugs, like Mm -hmm. another way to disconnect from his reality and numb his pain and not have to deal with things, right? To avoid things. So he would go to this thing, which made him feel excited. And he never cheated, but he did emotionally cheat. He was texting with girls Mm -hmm. and sending them photos and they were sending him little videos. And like, you know, it was like sexting before there was sexting and he was paying for that. And I just felt so violated. And, And you just stumbled on that and figured it out. Yep. Did you confront him immediately? Immediately. And he was doing, he was finishing up his PhD. He was like in the basement of UCLA doing research with like rats and doing surgeries and like studying the brain and like not glamorous, pretty mm-hmm. awful. And he's back, he's down there in this cold, disgusting basement of UCLA. And I'm like, I found the email address and I found the website. And he just like, 
lost his shit. And then very quickly, because we had been through something similar before, we really quickly, we agreed that we wanted to have this baby together. We agreed that we wanted to have a healthy marriage. We agreed that we needed to, this was it. This was like the last of the secrets for him. So he, in one way, felt really relieved because he was like, thank God, I don't have to walk around with this crap anymore. Like his, our entire relationship, there was some part of him that he could just push into the corner and keep to himself and keep as secrets. And that doesn't feel good. Like, that's why our thing is radical transparency, because that's the way of being in a partnership that's really fulfilling and really honest and vulnerable is by being radically transparent. And we didn't have that before then. And I feel like in in many situations where I hear about cheating, it's like the cheater always wants to be caught because then you can go after the real issues or become like a self-fulfilling prophecy in some situations where I'm not saying a D, but I know other men who cheat like think that they deserve to be alone and then they cheat and then the wife leaves or a partner leaves and then they're alone. You know, like they create their own narrative and you kept kind of like being like, I see you and why? Not by, but why? Yeah. Like you brought curiosity where most people would shut out. Why mm-hmm. Why were you able to bring curiosity? Is it because you were pregnant? Probably, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, probably because I was about to birth his child and we just got married and like we had already been through this before. So there was definitely a level of like, I don't really feel like doing all this again and breaking up again. And now we're married and like we're actually committed. It's now or never. If, if we're going to do this, let's do this. And honestly, these, these issues are going to come up in our future relationships, right? Like wherever you go, there you are. So if I have these issues with intimacy and I have these traumas, they're going to come up in the next relationship and I'm going to have to start at square one. And same for him. We had already dug through so much. We were so deep in the work. This was the last element. Let's just get through it together or at least attempt. And then if we know we really put our all into it, we can always say we did our very best. Did it bring out feelings of unworthiness for you? Did it make you say, like, what's wrong with me? Or did you know that it was his issue? No, 100% at the time, I was like, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not blonde enough. I'm not whatever the thing is. I mm-hmm. It definitely brought up unworthiness in a way that I had never before felt because I actually am a super confident person. And in my mind, I was like, he wants something that I'm not. And that came through. And that's not at all the case. But how could my brain not go there? What is the reality? The reality is that it was a deep seated insecurity, inability to deal with confrontation, inability to deal with his own feelings and emotions because he grew up in a home where they didn't talk about their feelings and emotions. They just were doers. And his family loved him, but he never even heard the words. And he would tell us multiple times after having Kai and Leo saying I love you in Hebrew, which is the language he speaks to our kids in, saying I love you in Hebrew sounded weird, even coming out of his mouth, much less hearing it being said because he never heard it growing up. So that just shows and like my parents were like, I love you 15 times a day. He did not get that emotional, intimate, physically, emotionally, spiritually, he didn't get that from his family. So how was he going to give it to me? But the will to stay during that, where did that come from your mom? Is that something that you learned or or you could mirror in your, your parents are divorced, right? So did you see that at all? I think it's the opposite. I just do opposite of everything my mom does. So like she was really bad with money. So I've worked really hard to heal my relationship with the energy of money. She burned every bridge from work relationships to 
friendships to it was always the other person she was in three marriages like it's always the other person she's um borderline and I hated that growing up I hated that we had to keep leaving schools and my friends and these you know little universes and realities we had created we had to then get up and leave because mom you know something happened with the boss and so I'm I think it was from the opposite instinct of like this is hard this is one of the hardest things that I've ever had to go through. We got through the, the last stuff. I'm strong. I can get through anything. And the worst case is that we put our all into this and that we both come out of this. Like I did have the awareness that we would both come out stronger, even if we didn't successfully like stay together. I think it's not how most people think of these things. I think the ego, I presume that the ego gets really bruised really fast and that kind of takes away. But you kind of pushed your ego to the side and maybe it was chipping away at your self-worth, but something was pushing you forward and it was the Sophie in you, honestly. (laughs) Yeah. Also just seeing him down on his knees being like, this is everything. Like seeing him down on his knees and seeing him cry, seeing the liberation he experienced when I knew this information, like, thank God, this is all out now. To see that in his eyes and in his being was like, I think this is everything. We have to deal with this mess now to prevent that nothing happens in the future. But like, this isn't going to happen again. And it never did. And that was over 10 years ago. It was 11 years ago. And nothing has ever happened like that again. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
two questions. Does it feel different when somebody emotionally cheats versus physically? Because the first one was physical, right? The second one was emotional. I don't think it feels any different. Okay. I think that's just important for anybody who may be emotionally cheated on to hear that it's just as valid or real. I I think that sometimes we don't, if an experience isn't like quintessential traumatic, we don't let ourselves process it. So for anybody who may be emotionally cheated on or be an emotional cheater, recognizing the damage that you're doing or the the damage that it feels just to take a moment to really say that's just as as huge. Yeah, psychologically, it's the same damage. And if anything, it's for me, I experienced it as equal. Like I don't even remember. Like, oh, I guess he didn't physically do anything, but it felt the exact same in my body. That's important information. After that, I mean, I know you went to therapy. Was there a period of time where your trust was not restored? Were you always checking the emails or his text messages or? Yeah. So there was, um, we had to create very intense boundaries to recover and to heal. So in the very beginning for about, I'd say a solid year, if not two, his behaviors that were unacceptable were pretty much anything under the sun having to do with anyone from the opposite sex. So he couldn't connect with his friends that were women. And he's, he's a psych major, like all his friends in the psychology department are women, right? He has a sister and a mom he was raised by and with. And so he's a guy, you know, he's like a best friend to a lot of women, but he's also, you know, he also had been through all of this and I needed that to feel safe. So it was no friendships with women, no going out to bars with his guy friends and drinking because sometimes when he cheated the first time, it was when he was had a drink or two, even though he had never had a problem with alcohol. I just didn't feel like him getting intoxicated without me there was a smart idea. He wasn't allowed to watch porn alone. He wasn't allowed to like, like actually anything under the, and, and, and the communication was the most important thing. So if he messed up and he went on a work trip and there was porn on the thing and he pressed it for a second, even like soft porn, anything that felt unsafe, he had to tell me that. And that's where we started to build our trust was in the, Hey, I drove by this billboard and I looked at it for longer than a split second. And it made me feel this, which is really Mm. uncomfortable when you don't have those. Right. And so that was how I started to understand the inner like mechanisms of his brain. And that allowed me, even though it hurt every time I received that information, like he then later was a professor at UCLA. He was teaching women that were like 18 through 20 undergrad at UCLA, like some of the hottest girls. Right. And I'm like, Hey, so how'd that go today? Like, were there any women that like made you feel anything? And so he'd have to go through that. And like both of us, it's hard for him to express it. It was hard for me to receive it. But even though I felt that vulnerability hangover from him and as a result of that vulnerability for a couple of days, it always made me feel like I understood him better. And then eventually it wasn't that hard. Now I can, both of us can be like, I can go to Starbucks and be like, Hey, I saw this girl. She was hot. And he's like, really? And then like, it's like such a positive, fun, playful thing for us. But then it was just like a, like a knife to the heart over and over again. Well, cause it was threatening and you weren't getting to the real rooted issues. Like now, you know, the inner workings of all he let you in, he let you into the deepest, most fearful places, and then you could support him. But I think that most people that oftentimes I shouldn't say most people, when people recover from something like this, like at first, when when you told me that, like, he had to report back to you, I was like, how is that going to end? Well, like, that's going to be like shackles. But that's not what it was, because it was that paired with the 
the work. Yes. So the idea behind it is that those like inner circle behaviors, which are like, these are things that are just not allowed. You're not allowed to cheat. You're not allowed to do this. And along with obviously like, you're not going to cheat on me. You're not going to talk to other women. Like we listed everything out. So it was crystal clear so that our boundaries were vocalized for the first time in our life. And then there were middle circle behaviors that were like, we need to talk about if this is okay. And then there were like outer circle behaviors. Eventually, after just even a couple months, the inner circle list began being chipped away at. Cause I'm like, I don't care if you hang out with your friend and study. I don't care if you go teach and like there's hot women there. Like that's not with life. But in the beginning I was so wounded. And so like we talked about, I d- felt disgusting. I felt like there was something wrong with me. So why would I want him around other women? So it was just like a, a matter of letting time pass. You can't speed up the recovery process. I had to allow time to pass. I couldn't rush the healing process. The boundaries, you know, the list of things that were not allowed quickly became a short list of what was not allowed. And that was the hope always. We both don't want to live in shackles. We both want to find freedom. He was helping me find freedom and my sensuality and sexuality in so many ways. And I was helping him to get to the actual root of these issues so that he doesn't have them anymore. And now he doesn't. And it took a while, but the initial, it's kind of like if your child does something really, really, really bad and just out of control, yeah, you're going to put them in their room for like all day. I mean, I'm going to put them in their room all day long. It's going to be a big punishment. They're going to have no screens for a month, right? If they do something really bad, eventually it starts to dwindle away. The person learns, the child learns, and you have a new trust that's formed. And that's what we needed to build was trust and real trust based on like a very strong foundation. But how do you build trust on when there is no foundation and when the sky is no longer blue because your reality is completely shaken? You have to start at square one. And so that's what we did. We started at square one and no, I don't ever want to be the type of person that like cracks the whip and says like, you're not allowed Mm -hmm. to look at girls. That's not the human that I am. Mm -hmm. But given my pain on top of the cheating, the betrayal, the lies, and now my universe and perspective being completely flipped upside down, I needed to start at square one. We needed to start Mm -hmm. with the ABCs of a relationship. And in many ways, it was for the first time because most people are not like, here are the tools to a successful relationship right when they find each other. But then on top (laughs) of not having the tools, on top of not knowing how to communicate, we also had all this pain that we were healing from. And you're growing a baby inside of you. So So I think that a lot of people really struggle because it gets messy when you need help. So, you know, your family, your friends now are all involved and they know what he did. Was that a, a hard part for you? Like, were they unforgiving? Were they telling you not to work on it? Actually, because I was so transparent and because I was so honest, Instead of them finding out after the fact, like they were kind of part of the journey and I would Mm -hmm. go to them and I would say, you know, this is what's going on. And he just left this meeting and this is what he said. I I had them along for the ride instead Mm -hmm. of surprising them with a big information thing. Like before they saw the effort that he was making, he was going to meetings every single day. He was meeting with different types of, you know, healers, he was meeting with coaches, he was doing his own practice, he was doing the work. And that's, that's all anyone wanted to see. They just wanted to see, you know, and I have friends who are going through like, they almost went through a divorce right now during quarantine. And like, Mm -hmm. now they found each other again. And like, all I want to see, there's no judgment. I'm not like, he's a bad guy, because he started using again, and he's cheating on you. No, he's a human being who is flawed, just like all of us. But is he doing the work? Is he showing up to himself? Where's the accountability? How are we going to measure this growth? And that's what they said with like, 
obviously different words because we were young then and they didn't, we didn't even know what we were dealing with here. But my friends and family were really supportive also because I was so open and public about it this time around. I think it was a couple years after that final kind of discovery with the cheating online, I started to write for publications like Women's Health and different things talking about it because nobody talks about this. And yeah. when I was suffering and I was like hysterical finding all this stuff, there was nothing out there that I, as a resource saying, here are the steps to take to recover. And there is hope. So a DNI want to offer hope to people that no matter what thing we're talking about, he's been through crazy addiction to, to meth, to meth. That's like one of those drugs, like heroin, like in my brain, I'm like, you smoked meth. Like, who <laughs> are you? And like, who is he is like this amazing dynamic human being who now saves people's lives on the daily and can communicate and translate their own language of healing because he's been through that experience. And yes, he cheated on me. I actually cheated on him a few years ago. And the way that we're handling it and the way that we heal and then offer our true story for others to learn from and grow from and have hope for is everything. Like we don't have to share this shit. We don't have to share it with anyone else. We're not getting anything out of this. People love to be trolls online. People say like, oh, she's so stupid. Like Yahoo picked up an article on me and like, who is this fucking idiot? Like, he's just going to cheat on you again. Like, oh, just like yeah. trolls, right? Just people well, that aren't. Well, not, yes, trolls, of course, but their own projected pain of what happened to them, right? Because they, st I, assumptions, but they stayed in a situation where they maybe thought things could get better or glazed over it, and they didn't do the work that you did that is so far under the surface. I mean, as your friend, somebody that's followed you for years, I knew that you had been through all this stuff, but I did not know what was below the iceberg. I knew that, you know, Adi had sex addiction and drug addiction, and I know that you were there and you, he cheated and you worked through it. But I didn't know the inner work that you guys did together. And that's what's not shown, right? We might know that people get back together after they cheat, but you didn't brush it under the rug. You didn't let it go because, oh, I'm having a baby. It was like, we're going to go through it all and get through the weeds of oh this Oh, my all. God. Exactly. And like, <laughs> when I think about when we got married, I mean, talk about not being glamorous. When we got married, we were not having sex. We were working with his therapist and he was on a, you know, the same way you would detox from alcohol or a drug. Like he was clean from sex. So that meant he was not masturbating. He was not having sex with me. Like our wedding night, we were like, good night, beautiful Stop. night. Swear. Stop. And then my entire pregnancy, we were in it because I got pregnant one year later. And then it was like, that was when the, the, the final shoe dropped. And we were like, okay, here we go. And so I'm nine months of the entire pregnancy. We weren't having sex. Talk about not having like that. All of those feelings returned mm -hmm. of like, I'm gaining weight. I'm like, not comfortable in my body. My husband doesn't want to be sexual with me. Now he did not want to be sexual with me. He was prescribed this yeah. plan of like, you need to be sober right now. And it's hard not to take it personally. Cause it, it is like, don't you want to be intimate with me? And he's like, yeah, but I I'm trying to heal here, you know? And so it's like me supporting him while trying to grow. And like, that's what it's always been with us is that, like you said, that underlying work and effort. And yeah, we didn't cheat on ourselves on our wedding night and say, I was gonna Fuck say. It, let's just right. Like we weren't like, screw it. Let's just have one crazy wild night because we knew that we would deter all the progress that he had made. 
Let's do it right this time. But like right in the world of Sophie and Adi, which is not right in the world of what you're supposed to do. So I just feel like the two of you stay so plugged into your own individual connected needs that what you're supposed to do doesn't even throw you off. Like not having sex on your wedding night might be a like big red flag to somebody that thinks, well, we didn't even have sex on our wedding night. What does that mean for my future? But like somehow you don't run away with the story. You stay present and you stay connected. We did gloss Mm -hmm. over the fact that you cheated on a D. So was that emotional or physical? (laughs) (laughs) You did gloss over that one, I will say. (laughs) Uh, True, valid. It was physical. It was something that happened on New Year's seven years, I don't know, five years ago or something. I was highly intoxicated. The man that Mm. I cheated on him with was a 23-year-old model. Mm. And we were at the Petite Hotel in Beverly Hills, West Hollywood. And I was, again, highly intoxicated. Adi and I were having some really rough times. We had two kids. We were living in the valley, like far outside the city. I was resentful for all the work he was doing. I was resentful for him not being home. And I I was craving attention. So I already had kind of been emotionally cheating on him with this director and was just like wanting attention. I liked the attention I was getting and he went to bed. I went up to the rooftop with my girlfriend and I was just like being ridiculous with this guy, like just talking to him, like giving him shit for something. And he was dead sober. And I felt really bad because I really was putting him down and kind of being an asshole. And so I like put on my pajamas and we got to, I'm like, I can't. And I was, again, I was like on all these things. So it did in my mind, it sounded so bad. Like who cares about this complete stranger? But to me, I'm like, oh my God, like, I feel so bad. I'm going to go apologize. She's like, really? My girlfriend. I'm like, yeah, I just got to go apologize. She's like, how are you going to find him? It's three in the morning. I'm like, I'm going to find him. I walk outside my door three in the morning and I hear him and his dad talking in their hotel room, which happened to be two doors down. And I heard their voices as if I had a glass up to the door to the hallway. Yeah. We happened to be on the same hotel room floor. He happened to be two rooms away. And I just happened to hear him through the doorway. And so I like went up to the doorway and knocked on the door and he answers the door. His dad actually answered the door and I apologized to him and I apologized to the boy and I'm still very intoxicated. And so he, he's like, Oh, no problem. Water on the, under the bridge, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, dad, I'm going to go like meet this girl upstairs or something. He said something. I don't even remember. He was going to go do something. And so he's like, here, walk with me. And so we start walking up the stairway up to the rooftop again. I'm just like, I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. I was way out of line and just like in my own universe. And all of a sudden we're standing in front of the bathrooms and this place is like this petite, I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's like owned by Burning Man people. So it's very Mm -hmm. like ethereal and beautiful and like perfect for like the substances I was on. And he opens the door to the bathroom and he's like, I want to show you something. And I go inside and he locks the door and starts having sex with me. And I'm like, I should go get my husband. I said that out loud. I'm like, I should go get my husband. I'm a, he'd be cool with this. Let me just go get him. And he's like having sex with me against the wall. And I'm like, he's sober. I'm on a lot of things. He's very aware I'm on a lot of things. And he definitely took advantage of me. Um, Some of my girlfriends are like, he raped you. I don't agree with that. I think that I, on many levels, wanted that. And I Mm -hmm. never had a one night stand. And there there are parts of me that were like, yeah, man, Adi's done this before. It was like, there was no time and space. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, he's done this to me. It's my turn. And I went upstairs to the hotel room. It lasted two seconds. And I went up to my hotel room and I woke Adi up and I told him the truth. Oh, you right told there. him immediately. Okay. Immediately. Wow. Woke him up, 
told him right in front of my best friend. And she was just like, she had me, you know, she had me in this place in her life where I was just like up on this unrealistic pedestal. And like, that was the beginning of another layer of deep, deep work for us. And I knew in the moment I said to him, this is going to be so good for us. And he was just like, don't, I'm not ready for that Sophie shit right now. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and he like went off to go find the guy and like beat him up or whatever he was going to do. And it's not about the guy. It's not Mm -hmm. about the guy. Not about what happened. It was about us. I've heard you actually say that the cheating was part your cheating or whatever that was. Uh, It kind of doesn't even really fit that bill now that I hear the story. But (laughs) it was part of your healing. Like you had to do that or maybe, you know, and I've heard a D say that like, he kind of needed you to do that to feel the other side. Yeah, I'm like breathing deep into that because it's so real. And I don't recommend you go out and cheat on your partner if you've been through this before. But at the same time, yo, this healed us. It evened the playing field, the yin and yang, everything became more imbalanced. He had more respect for me in many ways. I had more respect for him. I was such a judgmental little bitch about it. Like I'd be like, how do you just have sex with someone you don't love? That's so disgusting. Like, and even to my girlfriends, I was so possessed by this judgment. And it's just because I had never experienced it. And when you haven't experienced something, it's really easy to judge it from afar. And you come in with these, like you said in the beginning, these ideas of what's good and bad. And, you know, obviously some things are just bad. And you, how could you do that? That makes you a bad person. And you guys have really like used these quote unquote bad things to break through parts of yourself that like would have never been found and seen in the other. So it's, Mm. and also you could have just tucked this all away and shown up on the internet as the, you know, I think at first glance, if people don't read your content or really get to know Ignited and your work, they see you as like, oh, she's so perfect with her yoga body and her perfect three kids and husband. But like, I was always drawn to you because in real life, like you're talking about the substances that you use and whether it's alcohol or a drug and not in a way. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Not in an unbalanced way, a place where I'm concerned with your usage, but you're not trying to be anything that you're not. And the two of you are not trying. And therefore, I mean, you give your life to talking about this, you know, with doing the couples retreats and getting people to really talk about these parts of them. So why do you think that most people resist doing this work and stay unhappily married? Do you have thoughts about that? Yeah, I don't think that people want to look at these parts to themselves. I don't think that they're used to it. I don't think it's fun being uncomfortable for most people. It doesn't matter that at the end of it all, you're going to have a healthy relationship. It's like the motivation and the internal drive that it takes to really show up and do this hard work. And like, it's sticky. It's like, honestly, a lot easier to go into a gym and lift weights than it is to look at the darkest parts of who you are and your reactions and your responses and how you've shown up in your life and how you need to change. It's not easy to change. It's uncomfortable. And so people shy away from it because it's uncomfortable and it's vulnerable and you're letting someone in like relationships are the greatest mirror for us. And he was mirroring to me my biggest issues and my shadows. And I'm like, Hey, don't look there. And then he's like, I'll show you mine. If I show you, if you show me yours, I'm like, I don't even want to see that. Like, it's just like so much. But once you start doing it, the rewards, I mean, we have such an amazing relationship now. And in the last, I'd say five years is really when we started to just flourish and find our footing. And it's like 
once you do the work, it's kind of like you do the work on your body and like, you know, you're into food stuff too. And you help you coach people. A lot of times I remember when I used to coach people on food stuff, they'd be like, Oh, the scale's not changing. I'm not dropping weight. I can't fit into my pants, whatever that milestone is for them. And I'm like, if you just stop focusing on that, the interval, mm -hmm. and you just focus on the experience that is the work is showing up every day. And it just becomes an integrated part to your life. You're going to wake up one day and be where you want to be, but you can't be only looking at the end goal. Just like a D works with his clients and they say like, well, when can I start drinking again? He's like, the minute you stop asking me when you can start drinking again, the <laughs> minute you stop asking is when you can drink again. Like for me, like the reason we show that we drink and party and whatever is because that's not our life. Our life is not looking forward to the drinks at the end of the day. It's a very small part where I'm like, sure. I'll like let go a little bit with you and get in the hot tub and like have a drink. Like, sure. Why not? But it's normalizing being a mom. I do these things so that other people feel like less taboo about it. I don't care about drinking. I could go four months without having a single drink or even thinking about it, but I try and bring these darker moments and these darker things and substances and things to the forefront, whether it be sex, drugs, alcohol, fighting, doing the work, going to therapy. Like I like talking about that stuff openly because I have a platform and I don't want people to walk away feeling like things are perfect over here. I want them to feel normalized where it's okay to have a cocktail at 5 p.m. on a Tuesday. It just is as long as you're not covering something up and running from your life. Right. So it's like the same behaviors most of the time. They could be an escape, but if they're they're not an escape because you're doing the work every single day. Like every, people need to understand that. And I think so many people get bogged down with doing the work, either themselves or with a partner, that they're stuck in the work. Like you need to take a break from the work too to come up for yeah. air in whatever 100%. that looks like for you. I or you're that. not gonna reap that. that benefit. One hundred percent. And we and I look forward to things. I like the three times a year, my husband and I like take MDMA with our friends and like stay at a hotel. And like, <laughs> I look forward to that because I get to be a kid again. I get to heal. I get to grow. I get to dance like ass naked in front of my friends and be like, I'm just me and strip away all those layers and like be silly and play around and have deep conversations. Like I don't want to do that every weekend. That's exhausting. However, it's like the pendulum has to swing and I need to find the balance for myself where I get to, I'm a, I hold so many balls in the air as we talked about. Sometimes I need to let them all go. And for me, that's what those practices are. And that's instead of only looking forward to that one thing every three months, I can have a, a spiked kombucha on a Tuesday night and feel good about it because I've had a long day where I'm showing up to my life in this real way and in this intense capacity where it's, oh, what was that look? Oh, are you upset? Are you mad? Are you like talking through everything and then showing up for our podcast vulnerably and sharing stories like this, where it's like, I'm honored that I get to share my path, but it's not like there's no expense to me. It's not like I just have unlimited get like givings of this. And even with sponsored posts, it's like for every sponsored post that I'm putting my heart into I then want to make up to it to my following by giving another organ. It's like double the work and I'm happy to do that. I'm here for it and I need to take care of myself and let myself just let go and be silly and smoke a joint with friends or whatever your medicine is, right? And 
every substance can be a medicine and it can be a poison. And True. it's an opportunity to check in with yourself and say, what is my intention with the substance? Have I not really been breathing much? Because sometimes when I smoke weed, even just the act of smoking, and I don't even really inhale, right? But the act of just the deep inhalation is all I really am craving, Yeah, you know? Yeah, and yeah. so sometimes I'm like, you know what? But I don't really want to be high. Okay, True. I'll smoke my CBD pen. Like, what am I craving here? What am I needing? And what is the intention behind it? Is it to, and there's no judgment to people that drink alone, but I don't drink alone because I'm not drinking to get drunk. I'm drinking to connect, be silly with friends, feel like that feeling, like, to create an ambiance, to create an energetic field where we're on the same wavelength. That's what you can create with a substance. If, if you're all over the place and you're just doing this all the time and you're doing it to distract yourself, then you're not present to the moment. But if you're doing it to create an experience and a container, it can be the most healing, beautiful afternoon, evening, whatever it is. Again, it's not about the substance. It's about like, what is my intention? Yep. What do I want out of this experience? Yes, it can be scary to do the work, but how beautiful to have that person that has your back and has seen you through everything. They know every nuance to you. And they're like, maybe you shouldn't do that thing. I don't know if that's like in your greatest alignment for today. And like, okay, I respect that. You're right. Or no, I'm doing this thing. And that's the radical transparency, though, that's built into it, because otherwise it's like you're policing them and then they get offensive or their ego jumps in or or you don't make maybe they don't even a male might feel like you're taking away their masculinity. But because of that radical transparency that's built into years of work and daily work that you continue to do, it's really clear if you say, eh, maybe you should take a break from drinking. He knows that it's for your best interest and he can actually see a mirror of himself instead of feeling like he's being attacked. So that is Absolutely. beautiful. And it takes time. <laughs> it takes time. I was going to say still after, like we've been at this a long time. I still am sometimes that like judgmental kind of bitchy, like I come at it from the wrong angle, or I'm not using my tools, or I'm not, I'm like, I'm tired, I don't feel like seeing it the right way, you know, and so like, mm -hmm. I get become a little like, that little girl where I'm just like, why'd you do that? Or that makes me mad. Or instead of just like, when you do that, it makes me feel blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And like, sometimes I don't want to use those things. And I get sloppy because we're human. Sloppy, but yeah. it's a matter of just showing up and doing the best we can every single day to hold ourselves to that place. And also letting go and just hanging out sometimes and figuring out the ways that you can let go and unwind and um, that are true for you in this moment in time. Well, you have given us so much. I'm going to wrap up with three really fun questions. First question is, what is the favorite philosophy product? So we didn't even get into your whole superfood lines philosophy. I'll link it below. But what is your favorite product that you make? And obviously, if you haven't gotten Sophie's integrity here, everything she does is 150%. So these products are amazing. No fillers, no additives, just pure magic. Thank you. Yeah, I made I started this product line about 10 years ago. Crazy. And yeah, I mean, it's always so hard to pick because I I designed all of them and created them all. So there's a there's a purpose behind them. And, and it's for myself. It's a very selfish thing. So I started with the green dream one and then moved on to the cacao magic and then the berry bliss as like the main three products. And the thing I love about those powders is that you can add them to anything and there's no sugar or stevia in them. So you could use them to make a dish savory or sweet. So because I've been doing this for so long now, as much as I love a smoothie, they obviously energize me in a way nothing else can. I like figuring out creative ways to use the superfoods that you wouldn't think of. So adding the green dream, for example, to pesto is like mm. makes the pesto 
infinitely better. And like, you'd think when you add something with like spirulina and hemp powder and stuff, it would just be like, oh, not great, but it makes it taste better. And I can feel like the nutritional benefit. And like last night, we added the berry bee honey to our salmon, and it was infinitely better. Now I'm addicted to this way of making salmon. It's just like finding creative ways to use the superfoods is just like where I'm at now. It's just like, where, what are ways that I could add this to something and sprinkle this to something and actually make the flavor taste better. Well, we're going to link those below. Creativity and adding an abundance and nutrients on a cellular level. Okay. Do you think that everything happens for a reason? Feel free to go yes, no, or expand. Yes. And last question, if you were a tree, what type of tree would you be? Probably jacaranda, the purple leaves. Ooh, pretty. I don't. I'm going to look it up. my favorite. Yeah, they come right around Noah's birthday, and which is in June. But it's kind of like May, June, like my birthday, Noah's birthday. They cover Los Angeles. There are purple blossoms that then fall mm. as the season ends all over your car. So it's just like this purple rain and snow all over the place. And it's so beautiful. And it makes me so happy. And whenever it's Jacaranda season, I'm like, I need to go on a walk outside every single day and see what's going on. And just, it just makes me happy. So it makes you I present. love to be able to sprinkle. Yeah. Sprinkle love and that happiness all over everyone and just remind them. That is so Sophie. So mm-hmm. it's very clear why you make the perfect guest for the truthiest life. And I want to thank you for being a guest and being here. I love you. I support you. I see you. And to you. And for anyone that wants to come over and say hello, I'm at sophie.jaffe on Instagram and thephilosophy.com, spelled with my name, philosophy.com to come check out all of the yummy products. We will be linking and tagging you and making sure everybody heads over there. Thanks, Sophie. Thank you. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-Fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's Unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.